but tonight Sister Rhonda Burton's going to come, and she's going to bring a word to us, and we're going to absorb what she speaks to our hearts from the Lord, and then we're going to have a time of prayer together corporately. Would you please welcome Rhonda? Good evening. It's good to see you all. I'm glad the snow is gone. I'm glad the ice is gone. And uh, very soon we're going to be welcoming a new season. Hmm. Let's just say a, a prayer real quick. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak your word tonight, God. God, be glorified in this house tonight, Lord, for that's why we're here, God. Lord, I pray that the spirit of intercessory prayer would fall upon your people here tonight, Father. Lord, that we would pray the will of the Father, God, and be led by the greatest intercessor of all time, Father, the Holy Spirit. Father, let my words tonight be pleasing to you, Lord, and let your name alone be high and lifted up, Father. Lord, I invite you, God, to go before us, Lord, to be in control, Father, of the remainder of this night, Father. Lord, I submit my will to your will, Father. Lord, I pray, Father, that what I speak, Father God, to your body, Lord, would only be words, Father, that would edify them and glorify your name, Father. Lord, we just welcome you in this room tonight, Lord. Let your will be done, Father, and your name be high and lifted up, and we give you glory and honor and praise in Christ's name. Hallelujah. So we have been coming and meeting here on Wednesday nights, what is it, four years, going on four years? Five? Going on five years. See, time gets away from us. And we're coming on Wednesday nights for a prayer meeting, and we've been praying for revival. And I know that you all know what that word means, but you know me well enough to know that I have to break it down and, and make it simple and really know exactly what that means. So we're going to talk about revival tonight. And the word revive comes from the Latin roots Two words, re, R-E, and vivere. Re means again. So if you're building something, you're building it. But if you rebuild it, you're going back and doing it again. Uh, the word vivere means to live. So the word revive means to live again. It means bringing life to something that was already dead. It can also mean to cause something to regain consciousness. So when we're praying and we're asking for revival, we're actually asking for something that is dead to come alive or something that is fast asleep to awaken. And the only way that that can happen is through a supernatural move of God, which is what we have been meeting here for on Wednesday nights for almost five years asking for, is a supernatural move of God in our homes, in our community, in our church, and in our nation. Um, that's why we are here. That is the sole purpose and sole reason that we gather here on Wednesday nights. The ultimate purpose of revival when I was young, I remember we'd have revival and we'd get dressed up and we'd go to church and we'd get home late into the night. And, you know, it, I, I knew what revival was or I thought I knew what it was. was. But the ultimate re purpose of revival is to glorify God the Father on earth. This was Jesus' ultimate purpose. 
So to prepare for and live in revival, it's important that you and I understand that, that we, it's up to you and I to possess that same desire to glorify God the Father on earth. The word tells us in Isaiah 42 and 8 that God will not share his glory with another. However, he will manifest the glory of himself, his power, and his presence to those and through those who are consumed with the passion to know him and give him all the glory. I know that was a long sentence. To those of us that desire to give him all the glory, he is willing to manifest his presence and his power and himself to us and through us. Glorifying God is the Holy Spirit's intent in revival. And what better way to glorify the Lord or for God to be glorified in the earth than to see souls saved? What better way for God to be glorified in the earth than to see the backslider restored back to the Lord? As churches are revived and cities are transformed by the mighty workings of the Holy Spirit, all the glory will be given back to the Father. So what does an atmosphere of revival look like? It's an atmosphere of prayer. It's an atmosphere of worship. It's an atmosphere of repentance. And you might say, we've done that. We've repented. We need to keep repenting because we are of the flesh but born again of the spirit. It's an atmosphere of persistence and perseverance. Human charisma can attract a crowd, but that is not revival. A high-powered church program can bring new people, but that's not revival. A high-energy atmosphere can draw a crowd, but that is not revival. Revival is when the lost are found. Revival is when the backslider is restored back to God. Revival is when those who are bound with addictions are set free by the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. So tonight, we're going to take a closer look at revival by examining a scripture that you all are very familiar with. And I'm sure every single one of you can quote this scripture by heart. And it is 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. Um, and it says... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We're going to start out with the phrase that says, if my people, that's you and I, if my people, the phrase, if my people proves that choice has a part in revival. We have a choice. Woe unto those who say that if God wants to move in our nation, he will just do it. You and I, as sons and daughters of God, we possess the responsibility and the privilege of initiating and activating prayers to usher in revival. This phrase, if my people, is evidence that the fate of the nations rests in the hands of the righteous. When the sons and daughters of God turn to him, it has more impact than the evil that surrounds us. Let's quit worrying about what everyone else is doing. Let's quit worrying about what the past and the present presidents are doing. 
Instead, let's be more concerned about what we're doing. Am I saying that we need to stop being informed about what's going on in our nation? Absolutely not. That would be foolish and careless and reckless of us. We need to be informed. But we don't need to be so consumed by what's happening on the Capitol Hill that we're not consumed by what's happening in the heavenlies. I'm saying that we need to pay more attention to what God's doing than what the enemy's doing. There's no prayer that can be prayed that will bring dread upon Satan like our prayer to be made into a revival remnant. We've talked a little bit this year about the remnant. And uh, just to remind you, the remnant, you have a church, but then you have the remnant. The remnant is that handful, that small group within the church that says, yes, Lord, send me. I'm willing. I will be the one to go in the name of the Lord and pursue the promises and the purposes of God. Romans 9.29 says, and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, a seed, he would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Another version says, if the Lord of heaven's armies had not left a remnant. If you back up to verse 8, it says, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. That seed or that remnant is you and I, if so we choose to be. God has heard the prayers of his people, and even though Satan has his agenda, God has his plan, and his plan will prevail. Our, our text tonight, our verse goes on to say, if my people will humble themselves. So the first condition of this verse is that we humble ourselves before the Lord. We choose to put on humility and submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, who is an intercessor that cannot fail. Submission to the will of the Holy Spirit is humility in action. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. Submission to the will of the Holy Spirit is humility in action. He knows the will of God, and as we grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus, we learn the power of humility in prayer. Humility moves us from selfish prayers to prayers of the Spirit. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father, to God the Father through him. With humility, we bring our prayers into agreement with the will of God and give the glory to him who is able and willing to answer the prayers of those who humble themselves before him. Humility means knowing your place and knowing God's place. It means knowing who he is and knowing who we are not. It means knowing what he can do and what we can't do. Hebrews says, he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have been diligently seeking him for almost five years. That verse actually says two things about God that we need to understand as we approach him in prayer. First, we've got to believe that he is. He is what? He is the I am. He is the I am who can do mighty things. It's a recognition of his glory and his omnipotence. The psalmist was correct in saying, I will enter his courts with praise. We should approach the Lord in prayer with praise. We should always approach him with the highest praise and the highest honor. The second 
is to expect reward for diligence. We must know that God is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. That's why we don't just pray for revival, but we also have to plan for revival. If we ask for something that we can't possibly accommodate, it can only mean that we didn't expect it. Expecting it means that we are trained and we're prepared to handle a sudden influx of new converts. We have to be ready for revival. We can't just listen. Listen to me. Don't misunderstand what I'm fixing to say. We are to pray and we are to fast, but we can't just pray and just fast. We have to prepare. We have to plan. We have to be trained and we have to be ready. That verse goes on to say, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Revival is born and birthed through prayer. Revival prayer. With all of our promotions and programs, we cannot produce a genuine prayer movement. God has to grant us the genuine faith and the fervent desire for intercessory prayer. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He gives us the power and the desire to do the things that pleases him and gives him the glory. So what's revival prayer? In revival prayer, a person sets himself or herself before God to give birth to an act of God in his or her city or her nation. This kind of prayer is not simply muttering requests, requests before God. You're making declarations and you're releasing the word of the Lord over your city. It's taking your heavy burdens to the Lord and not caring what it looks like, not caring what it sounds like, not caring who's listening. It's about caring more about the need than yourself. It's about caring more about the need than what you, how much you care about what others think about your prayer. You assume a position of focused, targeted prayer. When Elijah prayed for rain, he literally assumed the position the Jewish women assumed in order to give birth. In 1 Kings 18 and 42, it says, So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. He bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees, and he prayed. He travailed in prayer. It was focused prayer. It was strategic prayer. And tonight, we're going to pray for specific needs. We're going to pray focused, strategic prayers. We're going to ask God to fill his people with a genuine burden to see people saved. Because Paul said in Romans 9, 1 through 3, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. He says, I'm telling you the truth. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. And I want to read that same scripture from the Passion Translation. He says it like this. 
Oh, Israel, my Jewish family, I feel such great sorrow and heartache for you that that never leaves me. God knows these deep feelings within me as I long for you to come to faith in the anointed one. My conscience will not let me speak anything but the truth, for my grief is so intense that I wish I would be accursed, cut off from the Messiah, if it would mean that you, my people, would come to faith in him. That is a burden for the lost. That is Paul praying for the lost to come to know the Lord. Our verse tonight goes on to say, and if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Seeking the face of God is something that goes beyond prayer. From God's perspective, seeking his face is the same as seeking his glory. The connection between the two is clear, and we know that because in Exodus 33, 18, and 20, Moses asked God, he said, show me your glory. And God responded to Moses by saying, no one can see my face and live. Only the glory of God will bring revival. God warned Moses that if he saw God's face, it would mean death. And our exposure to the glory of God also means death. It means death to the flesh. Death to the desire for the things of this world. The glory of God will come after our prayers have penetrated God. And his glory has penetrated us. And we've died out to the things of the flesh. To the things that are carnal. The first revival in history took place only a few weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. The revival that took place in the book of Acts was so explosive, it was as if the world had turned upside down. It began in a prayer meeting, which is what we've been doing on Wednesday nights. It began in a prayer meeting in an upper room in Jerusalem where 120 believers were praying and waiting. They only knew two things about their prayer meeting. They knew that the Holy Spirit was going to come to them, and they knew that they were going to receive power. And they knew these things because it's what Jesus revealed to them. I'm sure through their time of prayer and their time of waiting, they probably had many questions. I'm sure they probably wondered, how long are we going to have to come together to these prayer meetings until we see something happen? How long is it going to take? How long do we have to wait How long do we have to pray? How long? It's been almost five years. How long do we have to wait to see the fruit? How long do we have to wait before revival comes? Nevertheless, they continually set their faces before the Lord and they diligently sought him and believed that what Jesus said would happen was going to happen. They were willing to stick it out and crucify their flesh And they were willing to persevere. And because of their faithfulness and their obedience, a worldwide movement began because of a prayer meeting in an upper room. Our verse goes on to say, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. There will be no revival without a deep conviction of sin. There will be no revival without spiritual brokenness. There will be no revival without a holy fear of God. There will be no revival without a genuine repentance among the people of God. 
No matter how hard we try, no matter how many programs that we put in place and come up with, we cannot program or work up genuine brokenness and repentance. Only God can produce that in his people. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. And that's what we should be praying over the lost. And we should be turning from our wicked ways. To turn from our wicked ways doesn't mean just to repent of our sins. We've repented of our sins, but now we need deliverance from our ways. It's time to pour out our best for the Lord and before the Lord. Spiritual awakening means that the faithful now become fiery. It means that the decent now become dynamic and the acceptable become excellent. Our scripture says, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin. Then, after these things, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins. The prayers that we've been praying for almost five years are building a monument before God. Just as the angel said to Cornelius in Acts 10 and 4, the scripture says, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor has come up as a remembrance before God. So I want to encourage you tonight that something is happening in the regions of hell and something is turning in the heavenlies. Even now as I speak, we have not been praying in vain. All the prayers that we have prayed and are praying are mounting a case before God. It's time for favor to be shown in our city. It's time for favor to be shown in our homes and in our nation. A strategy is being drawn, and the angelic host has summoned before God, has been summoned before God to receive orders. And soon they will charge and bind the strong man. And I believe that the rulers of darkness are about to be rerouted. Hallelujah. Spirits of pornography, sexual perversion, addiction, violence, and poverty will feel the cutting edge of the sword of the Lord. And what's about to happen in the spirit is a punch in the face to the enemy, and we will see a turning. I believe that, and I pray that you believe that with me. I'm believing for a tidal wave of righteousness to come crashing down on America. And I'm asking the Lord to start right here in this church, right here in our community. We are the heartland of America. I'm asking God to start in me. I'm asking the Lord to let the flames of the fire of the Holy Spirit be ignited in me and in you and in this community because that is what will bring revival. Hallelujah. 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 The scripture goes on to say, and I will heal their land. This verse ends with the promise. The promises of God are true. The promises of God are settled forever in heaven and in earth, and they cannot be removed. The promise of God says, and and God will heal our land. 
I want to just talk to you just briefly, just for a moment, about an event that happened in Mark chapter 9. Jesus was confronted by a father bearing his demon-possessed son, and the father was pleading to Jesus for help. The moment that the demon sensed the presence of Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and the child fell to the ground, contorting and foaming at the mouth. Since he was a little boy, the spirit often threw him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Jesus commanded the spirit to leave the boy and never enter him again. And scripture says, then the spirit, when Jesus commanded the spirit to leave and never enter him again, the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and it left him and the boy appeared to be dead, although he was not. Jesus took the boy by the hand and helped him to his feet and stood him up. What does that have to do with anything that we're talking about here tonight? Because Jesus not only delivered this little boy, but he went the extra mile and he healed the little boy. Jesus does not want to just deliver our nation from sin. He wants to heal our nation from the effects of sin. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 could have finished after saying, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin, period. Moving on. But it doesn't. It goes on to say, and I will heal their land. Jesus wants to heal the effects of sin on a personal level, in your own life, in your family, in your home, in our community, and in our nation, and even globally. Leviticus chapter 6 verse 12 says, And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. If you go back and study this chapter, you learn that it was up to the priests to keep the fire burning on the altar. It says that the fire would not go out. From morning to night, the fire was continually burning. If we move over to the New Testament and we go to 1 Peter 2 and 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does that have to do with Leviticus 6 and 12? That tells me that it's up to you and I to keep the fire burning on the altar of our hearts. And therefore, we must always pray. What we're asking is to become the literal altar which, upon which the fire of God will fall. And by doing so, we're partnering with God to wreak havoc on satanic activity in our community. If we want to see the heart of a community, the heart of a nation to change, then we have to see the hearts of the people changed first. Because it's the, it's the people that make a community. It's a people that make up a nation, just like the body of Christ makes up the church. When the revival broke out in the book of Acts, they had begun praying, the Bible says, in one mind and in one accord. They all agreed as they prayed together. They participated in focused prayer as one body. And if I could get my helpers to come up real quick, now is the time. 
tonight, I'm going to share with you some prayer points. And we're going to pray in agreement tonight. They're going to pass these out. And I, I would like everyone to get one of these. This is some prayer points that we are going to pray together tonight. Take that home. Make that part of your prayer list. Um, is that the only thing we're going to pray? No, let the Spirit of God lead you. But I want us all to touch on all five of these prayer points because we're praying in an agreement and believing for this to come to pass in our community and in our nation. And I'm going to touch on them real quick before we go to corporate prayer. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to ask God to bring a deep conviction of sin, spiritual brokenness, and a holy fear of God, and genuine repentance among his people. We're praying the scripture when we pray these things. There is a scripture with it. So we're praying the scripture when we pray these things. We're not just praying a sentence, okay? We're going to pray for God to fill his people with a genuine burden to see people saved. The kind of burden that Paul had when he said, I would just as soon be cut off from the Lord if it meant that you would be saved. We're going to pray and ask God to bestow spiritual hunger in his people and draw them to fervent intercession. You don't have to be gifted with inter, the gift of intercessory prayer to be an intercessor. I don't know if you knew that or not, but every single one of us are to be an intercessor prayer warrior. We're going to pray that God will pour out his spirit like a mighty purifying flood like he did in the book of Acts. We're going to pray for a mighty move of conviction and salvation upon communities of cultural influence. What does that mean? That means we're going to pray for President Biden. We're going to pray for Kamala Harris. We're going to pray for former President Trump. Um, we're going to pray for those that are in seats of influence that can reach the masses. That's what we need. We need people that have influence that can reach the masses, that can use their platforms for the glory in the kingdom of God. So tonight, I would ask that you would, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to find your own personal place to pray and to apply this word tonight to your prayer time, to enter into the presence of God with humility and to seek the face of the Lord for the glory of God to visit you in your prayer time and, and to pray these prayer points. And if you need to repent, repent and let's move on. Let's get busy about the, the Lord's work. Let's get busy about doing what's going to bring God the Father glory in the earth. Let's pray these prayers that are going to make difference in the kingdom, that's going to make an eternal difference in someone's life, in our community, in your family, in your home, and in our nation. So if you would, go ahead and find yourself a place to pray. And I don't know if Danny's got something to play. I'm not sure. Father, hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb.